Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're going to be taking a look at what makes collaborations in the wine world successful. And our guest is Juan Munoz Oca, who's the chief winemaker at St. Michelle Wine Estates. Welcome to the show, Juan. Hey, Robert. Thank you for having me. I was wondering if you give Peter and I a brief overview of your background. Of course. So I am the chief winemaker for St. Michelle Wine Estates. The company is a collection of wineries originally from Washington State where we own six wineries. But over the years, we expanded to Oregon, where we own Erath Winery, and then California, where we own two wineries in Napa, uh, Staxley Wine Cellars in Con Creek, and Patson Hall in Sonoma. So the flagship winery of the company is Chateau Saint-Michel, which is the founding winery of Washington State. We started making wine under the Chateau Saint-Michel label back in the 60s. And we are probably one of the few wineries around the world that have the ability to say that we built a wine region on the work that was done at the Chateau. So based in Washington State, but not originally from Washington, as you can probably tell, this is not how we speak in the Northwest. I grew up in Argentina as part of a family that worked in the wine industry and never thought about doing anything other than wine. I went to school to learn how to make wine in Argentina, and then I worked in Spain, France, Australia, and ended up in Washington State, knowing very little about the Washington wine industry. This is the early 2000s, and found a place that had just like very unique energy as it relates to grape growers and winemakers, a good amount of pioneering being done in Washington. And so I fell in love with the place, which then became home, and this lovely lady that then became my wife. And so I've been in Washington for 21 years, every single one of those vintages working for San Michel One State. I started working at Columbia Crest, which is one of our three large wineries in Washington, Chateau San Michel, Columbia Crest, and 14 Hens being the other two, and grew up in the wine winemaking team at Columbia Crest. And over the years, I took over the winemaking for the rest of the wines in Washington. And about two or three years ago, I took over the winemaking for the entire group, which is a unique perspective, three very different states making very different wines, anything from everyday wines at $10 a bottle to wines that sell for $300 plus a bottle in Napa and then everything in between. So it's been a wonderful experience that has allowed me to see a lot of different winemaking styles and more importantly, different terroirs. And all of that then informs what we do with my team. So that's a little bit of an, an overview of what 
I do today and how I got where I am. So you had mentioned with your 21 years of experience that you also said that the St. Michelle wine estates really kind of built up the Washington wine region and really kind of crafted it. I'm curious now, just for our listeners, give some context. If you were to like estimate like what percentage of Washington wine are created or made by the St. Michelle Wine Estate as a portfolio? St. Michelle Wine Estate, it's responsible for about two thirds of the wine produced in Washington. And we do so in six facilities, three fairly large facilities, Chateau Saint-Michel, Columa Crest, and Forty Hands. Those are wines that you will see in every grocery store everywhere in all 50 states and 36 countries around the world. And then we have three high-end wineries, two in Walla Walla, Spring Valley Vineyards, North Star, and then one in Red Mountain, called Solari, which is a collaboration between San Michel Wine Estates and the Antinori family from Tuscany. So a good chunk of the wines in Washington are made under the San Michel umbrella. And it's such a unique situation. And I think there is no other wine region around the world that has the same situation. And so it's both a tremendous responsibility and also just an amazing pleasure to be able to speak to our wines and at the same time speak about Washington as a grape-growing region on the same token. So you mentioned Cole Solari, and that's a collaboration. So that's a great segue into talking about collaborations because when I first met you, what I noticed was St. Michelle Wine Estates has a lot of collaborations, more than just Cole Solari. There's Roica with Ernie Lucen. There was another one with a Rhone producer, I think. Maybe can you describe for us all the different collaborations and joint ventures and what they are? We currently have three collaborations and they are very different. We own a winery 50-50 with the Antinori family in Red Mountain, where we make Cabernet, that's called Solare. And we started that collaboration in the mid-90s. And then it grew into us planting a vineyard in the early 2000s and then building a winery in 2006 for that one wine. We also have a collaboration with Ernie, Lawson from the from Germany, from the Mosul, as you said, and we make uh, Riesling together. Also started in the 90s, and we've been making this wonderful family of Riesling under the brand Eroica for all these years and learning a ton from him as we learn from the Tuscan winemakers at Colsolare. And then we have a third collaboration with Michel Gassier and until last year with Philippe Cambier the prince of the round. We call that collaboration Tenet. And we lean on Syrah, Grenache, and Mouvet to make a handful of wines from the Columa Valley with their take on how the grapes grow here in Washington. All three collaborations, Peter, are with Chateau Saint-Michel, which is our flagship winery and the founding winery of Washington State. I am interested in understanding like why have they taken on so many collaborations like the heroic one kind of like makes a lot of sense to me because it was something that you're already doing but like the Kosolari and and the Rhone with Philippe Temet like those are interesting pivots in a different direction I'm curious on like why so many and what are the razors you use to like figure out why you would want to do a collaboration I have thought about this since I started working for Saint-Michel the only collaboration that was born after I was a Saint-Michel one estate employee was the one with Michel Gassier on our wines under the label Tenet. I think there's two things that are 
foundational when it comes to creating these collaborations. There's one, which is the personal touch. There's always a winemaker that met another winemaker somewhere and had a great dinner. They talked about the nuances of growing grapes where they are, and that piqued each other interest, and then it grows from there. And I'll talk about that here in a second, and I'll explain how the three happened. But I think there's another one, there's an underlying current that also pushes Chateau Saint-Michel to collaborate with these amazing winemakers from around the world. And it's this idea that Washington, when you think about wine years, it's just a very young grape-growing region, right? So 50 years for Chateau Saint-Michel, the winery, but the industry in general did not blow up in volume and quality until the late 90s. And I think at that point, bringing attention to the region was important to those pioneer winemakers. And what better way to bring attention to the region to speak about the qualities of both bookends of the industry, Cabernet Sauvignon and Riesling, then go out and collaborate with the Antinori family, who is perhaps responsible for creating the Super Tuscan, and go and collaborate with Ernie, who is perhaps the most famous Riesling winemaker in the world, right? And so um, those are the two components to our collaborations. And there's two people that were very influential in having these collaborations. And both of them were our CEOs. One of them was Alan Shoup in the 90s. Alan, who left San Michel in the early 2000s and opened up his own winery, Long Shadows, in Washington, that actually makes six or seven wines. And each wine, each variety is made with a winemaker from somewhere else in the world that is actually a master in that variety, right? So John Duval makes the Syrah and Randy Dunn makes the Cabernet and you get the idea. So you see how Alan had this idea of collaboration and bringing talent to Washington to give Washington maybe a little bit of, on the one hand, depth of knowledge and on the other hand, a little bit of prestige, right? And so he was the first one that met Piero Antinori and invited Piero to come. Piero had already purchased a property in Napa. So he was already making wine in the United States. That property is now Antica in Napa Valley, up in Atlas Peak. And Alan invited Piero to come and see what was happening in Washington. And I think he was just simply impressed by the place, the quality of the wines, and more importantly, how special is Cabernet in Washington. And the two decided to make a wine together that then grew into what it is today called Solare, which is a winery and a state vineyard in Red Mountain. So over the years, we knew we wanted to make a red wine together. And over the years, with Renzo Cotarella's guidance, who is the chief winemaker for Antinori, with Renzo's guidance, we narrowed down the broad umbrella of red winemaking to a Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we narrowed that down to a single appellation, Red Mountain. And then we decided to actually build a winery and a state vineyard to go with it. So today, Col Solare, it's one wine, it's Cabernet from our estate in Red Mountain. So you see how that's like the genesis and then the evolution of that partnership. The CEO, the fellow Alan Shoup was Ted Basler, who started in 2001 
and retired in 2019. And Ted, he had been part of the marketing team when we launched Call Solara. And I think he was just worldly. And he was a always a Washington State proponent. He wanted to talk about Washington and he wanted Washington to make wines that will stand shoulder to shoulder with any other wine in the world. And I think he felt strongly about bringing talent that will help us accelerate that evolution. And so he saw the great things that we were doing with the Antinori family and met Ernie through one of those dinners that you have when you work in the wine industry and brought Ernie to Washington. Washington was already making an impressive amount of Riesling. Chateau Saint-Michel is today the number one producer. We make more Riesling at the Chateau than any other winery in the world. And so I think that was intriguing to Ernie. Ernie is a world traveler. He spends most of his time out and about when he's not making wine in the Mosul. And so he was delighted to come on over to Washington. He also was impressed with the quality of the wine and more importantly, I believe, the potential of Riesling. And so we started making wine together. He decided that we will call the collaboration Eroica after Beethoven's Fifth. And it's been just such an amazing learning of for us, and I believe also for Ernie, right? So we have no baggage in Washington. It's not like we have to do something because it's the way our grandparents were doing it. And so um, really be more free to experiment and to try new things. And so I think it's like we both are learning, although I think we get the best of that equation. And then in the same way that these two collaborations were created in the 90s, in the mid-teens, we, again, driven by Ted Basler, we met with Michel Gassier, who, well, Michel and Philippe together, they've been partners for years, making wines in the Rhone, with an impressive portfolio of wines. I think between the two have made 13 100-point wines, which, that's just stupid, and I hate it. So we were always just fans of their work, and we felt that Syrah grows a very unique and different expression in Washington state. And we wanted to bring attention to the variety. Some of the best wines, the most iconic wines of Washington happen to be Syrah. And we felt like bringing Michelle and Philippe to help us make a wine together will bring attention to the unique expression of Syrah in Washington. And so we invited them to, again, take a look at what we do, come on over and visit. We walked the vineyards tasted some wines, and they were like, like history repeated, and they were impressed by the wines and excited about helping us just maybe dive a little deeper into an expression that will be unique on its own way, but also have been informed by the years and years and years of experience that they have wherever it is that they do most of their winemaking, Italy, Germany or France. So all three of these guys, well, they all live in Europe, but they're all over the world. Washington's on the other side of the world. How do these collaborations actually work from like a winemaking perspective and a sales and marketing perspective? So from the winemaking perspective, we have kind of evolved into this schedule in which we see each other in the springtime. If we make red wines together, we taste the previous vintage, we might make a blend or two, we might base some wines, and then we walk the vineyards to get some direction 
on how to treat these grapes through the growing season. We repeat a visit in the summer, late summer towards maybe harvest to, again, get a feel for where the grapes are going in that specific vintage. Although vintages in Washington tend to be pretty similar, there's still nuances to how we grow our grapes. There's a lot of tools in the toolbox for a grape grower in Washington to maybe tweak the way in which the canopy architecture develops or the way in which the grapes are exposed to the elements, for example. And so we have a walk through the vineyards in the late summer that preps our team for the winemaking that we are about to do in that vintage. That is followed by a visit in the winter. At that point, when we sit down with Ernie, we taste 250 to 300 different lots of Riesling, and we pick the best ones of those to make the entire portfolio of Eroica wines, which goes from our Eroica Riesling, which is kind of an off-dry version of Washington Riesling, all the way to a single berry select, very sweet wine, and everything in between, including ice wine. So that what happened with Ernie, which kind of like closes the circle until the following spring when we get back together and we actually enjoy the wine that has been bottled from that vintage. For the red winemaking that we do at Col Solare, Renzo will spend some time with us right after harvest. Renzo comes a little bit more often than our other collaborators just simply because we own Col Solare 5050 in Washington. But we are also in a partnership with the Antinori family as owners of Stacksleep Wine Cellars in Napa. And so because of the two wineries and our collaboration in both wineries, we see Renzo a little bit more often. So he's a big part of every single blending session for Cosolare and also guides the style of wines that we make by telling us, listen, I think we could do a little bit more of this or that in order to express perhaps more power or I feel like the tannin should be softer, right? So I think we have a little bit more presence from Renzo simply because of the work that we do in Napa with him as well. And then Michelle follows kind of the same schedule. When we see him during the growing season, we walk the vines to see how we're doing. We set kind of a, a fermentation protocol, if you will. I don't want to call it protocol because you don't follow it like a recipe. But we put together a guideline. Yeah, we put together kind of a structure on how we want to ferment the wines, right? For the Syrah and the Grenache that we make together, we talk about stem inclusion, destemming, crushing, or doing whole cluster, those very geeky nuances of what you do. And then we talk about the oaking, right? So we're going to use large format. We're going to use small barrels. How much of that you think it could be new? And then we see him again once it's time for us to taste these wines, paste the wines, which might happen also in the spring. So it's a, a wonderful way for us to own the winemaking from grape to bottle, but also have their input in every single step of the way, which is what I think makes the collaborations interesting. And then presumably it's your team that's doing the day-to-day winemaking, taking care of the topping and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. It's our team out in the vineyards taking care of these wines, grapes, and then our winemaking team, of course, taking care of the wines all the way to the bottle. But with a fair amount of guidance every step of the way from our partners. And what about from the sales and marketing perspective, when you go to sell the wines or do marketing, how involved are the partners? So that it's up to each one of our partners, right? It's interesting because we have three very different setups from the business perspective with each one of the three of them. 
what happens on the marketing and sales, our sales force evidently represents all of these wines. I should also tell you that San Michel Wine Estates imports all the Italian portfolio of wines from the Antinori family. So we not only sell the wines that we make here in America, but also we sell the entire Antinori portfolio. And so, of course, our collaborations are part of our luxury portfolio. So it's sold by this talented group of people that sell our wines in the United States and abroad. The marketing is also driven by our marketing team, our brand teams, and informed by the sensitivities of our partners. A great example will be we are evolving a label so that work is done in-house. And then when we get kind of like where we're going or we have something to show, we immediately call our partner and we're like, Michelle, what do you think about this label? Do you like the evolution? Are we missing something? Would you like to see anything in there? A component to that label that we're not seeing, etc. So we kind of the same with marketing as winemaking. We kind of do most of the work, but always informed by what our partner's sensitivity might bring to the table. So I am curious, now that you've explained how all the collaborations work, what are the key benefits of doing these collaborations now that you've done them for a few years? In my mind, it just boils down to the enjoyment of making these wines with these very talented people. I think ultimately, the collaborations are born out of, this is not a necessity, nobody needs to go and fly 12 hours to make wine, they are born out of chemistry and a relationship, a personal relationship with these winemakers that then turns into friendship in many cases, that that turns into this like mutual respect that goes back and forth between the two teams. And ultimately, that it's exactly what's exciting about being part of these collaborations. It's the ability to sit down with a team that sees the world very differently. I mean, it's very interesting. I'll give you an example that I think illustrates how I feel about these collaborations. During the lockdown, when COVID gave me this like anxiety of not knowing how are we going to deal with this, like the entire world, right? Like I don't know what's happening. I immediately think about our partners of Antinori, our partners in Italy, the Antinori family. And I also think that, well, Italy is going through a terrible time at the onset of COVID. And I know the Antinori family sells most of their wines to restaurants around Italy. And I know they're all closed and I don't know how they're doing. And so I reach out to Renzo to ask him about, just like check on him. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the business? What do you think we're going to do? During harvest, if we cannot be together, how are we going to harvest our grapes and make our wines? And I think he sensed that I was kind of freaking out at this point. And he tells me, well, one, the Antinori family has been making wines for 26 generations since 1457. And we've seen worse, man. We've gone through two world wars and we were okay. We're going to be fine. You need to chill a little bit. It's going to be okay. And in my new world brain, that does, I can relate to that idea that it's going to be fine. We've seen worse. I mean, we, our wineries were bombed in the 40s. Like, chill, buddy. You can be close to each other. It's going to be okay. I think that different perspective of what a wine could be, it's then what it's unique about 
having a different view, seeing things through a different lens, right? So the Antinori family, it's now run by their 26th generation. And so they think in those terms, in terms of, uh, so when I sit down to talk to my partners about our vineyard at Colsolare and the winery and the longevity and the sustainability of that business model, they're thinking that vineyard and that winery will be there in hundreds of years and a handful of generations. And that's truly not the way we think in the United States. And so I think that's the beauty of these collaborations. When you get to see the world through a different lens, and then that has to inform what you do with the rest of the winemaking that we do, right? Where like Renzo is not involved, but I still have his voice behind me saying, it's going to be fine, buddy. I've seen worse. I am curious about the other synergies. I mean, a lot of the wine industry is about relationships and clearly these like-minded people come together, form these collaborations, but it seems like there's more to it, right? You have two essentially very large producers and families of wine, basically with St. Michelle Wine Estates and, and the Antonori family. And you had mentioned that you're importing their wines as well, which I'm assuming is a follow-on to the collaboration or maybe it was a precursor. I'm not sure. But I'm curious, is that mutual? Like, is there, are they helping you with the distribution of the St. Michelle Wine Estates wines in the EU as well? Is there that kind of synergy going on? Yeah. So the collaboration evolves. You get to know these people and you were right. Robert, we, we started making the wine together and then they were like, well, you have a sales force in the US. Why are you not selling our Italian wines, right? And so it goes both ways, right? We are delighted to be part of what they call their family of wine, right? So they make wine in Italy, they make wine in Hungary and Chile. And yes, not many Italians are looking for Washington wines on their shelves back in Italy, but the Antinori family help us around the world to bring a little bit of what we, so we brag about being partners with them in the United States and in the same way they brag about being partners with us elsewhere in Italy, China, et cetera. So it goes both ways. In terms of like getting a couple specific examples, it's always helpful for us wine nerds to understand how these businesses, like how these actually work in terms of like, can you give us a specific example of a marketing collaboration between you and one of the brands and how it worked? Yeah, yeah. So the structure of these three collaborations with Chateau Saint-Michel is very different for all three, right? Colsolare, it's truly a joint venture. We own 50-50 the vineyard, the winery. We own 50-50 the inventory. We manage the marketing, the day-to-day marketing under the Saint-Michel One Estates umbrella. Those marketing efforts are informed by what the Antinori sensitivities are. But their marketing team is working with our marketing team to inform what we do and how we go out and speak about these wines to consumers, trade, gatekeepers, etc. When you move to Eroica, Ernie lifts most of the marketing up to San Michel One Estates. And although the inventory and the brand are 50-50, there's no other assets other than the wine that we make every year. And so our collaboration works very differently. There's not as much involvement from the Lucent side of the business. And then for the tenant collaboration, the so Michel comes in, we make the wine together. He gets a portion of the actual earnings from selling these wines under his guidance. 
We have a fee that will cover his travel and every time he comes to work the market, etc. But you see how it goes from like owning a winery 50-50 to then we are in charge of everything, but we appreciate your participation. So we give you a portion of either the earnings or the revenue or whatever the case might be. And so we try to keep them in every level and at every step, we try to keep them involved when it comes to the marketing efforts. Of course, the commercial side of selling these wines. So this is our strategy, right? So we have a business meeting twice a year in which we explain this is our go-to-market strategy. This is how we're going to sell your wine. These are the cities that we are targeting. These are the accounts within those cities in which we are hoping to pour your wines next year. And there is a lot of feedback from both ends of the equation, but ultimately we manage the day-to-day of all of those wines like the rest of the wines that we make in our portfolio. And in terms of winemaking, though, I'm assuming just like the joint venture to the joint ownership to collaboration on marketing varies greatly. I'm assuming the winemaking influence of each of those collaborations varies greatly. I was wondering if you could give a specific example. I know Ernie had mentioned that at one point in Dr. Lucen, they were experimenting with more fine lees aging of the wines and that, that that was something that was brought over to either Chateau Saint-Michel or to Arroyca. I can't remember which one, but I was wondering if that was an example of, of his influence on winemaking and, and like how that worked and how that came about. That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful example because pre-Ernie, we used to be very clean when it comes to our winemaking from juice all the way through to the bottle. So clean racks every single time, squeaky clean Rieslings. We were leaning on our acidity to show, and then sugar, and the tension between the two to showcase the soft texture of Washington Riesling. And Ernie was like, listen, you people need to use a little bit more solids that you have, like all of them, including leaving your Riesling on contact with the leaves for an extended amount of time. Let's try 18 months. That became Eroica XLC, extended lease contact. And then we, evidently, because it would be silly for us not to, then you carry that to the rest of the Rieslings that you make under Chateau Saint-Michel per se, right? That's a wonderful example. The first time that I walked the vineyards with Michelle and Philippe, we went out to see a block of Syrah and we had done a very aggressive leafing on that block to expose the clusters to the beautiful 17 hours of sunlight that we get in Washington. And he like literally grabbed his head, right? Put his, both hands on his head. Like, what are you people thinking? Like, listen, don't, I don't want you to do this ever again to any of the blocks that we decide to use for our wines. I want Syrah, Grenache, and Mouvedro to a certain extent. I want them protected. I want them shaded. I want one or two layers of leaves between the sun and my Syrah. And we were targeting... I think just like kind of natural for a winemaker. We're targeting lower yields on some of these Syrahs. And again, he does like a quick count of clusters. And he's like, is this three tons an acre? And we're like, yeah, hopefully. And he's like, I will, I want to see four at least. And so changing kind of the way in which we see high-end Syrah and Grenache being grown in Washington and then you can avoid it, but take that with you to the rest of the Syrahs that we make. And it's not only the rest of the Syrahs within the Chateau Saint-Michel portfolio. That's the beauty of my job. I can go to the winemaker at Spring Valley Vineyards in Walla Walla and say, Serge, you won't believe what I just learned. Like if you leave 
a couple of layers of leaves protecting your Syrah, we will have wines that have a lower degree of alcohol at the end, and it will be a lot more expressive on the nose. The aromatic profile will change drastically for the better. And so there is a lot of learning about just doing the things the way you feel is the right thing. And then somebody else brings a different perspective and it's like somebody just opens the window and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that there was a window out there. So that's the part that I love about it. Our, so Ernie, use your lease. The Frenchies, listen, dude, you don't have to do this stupid leafing that you're doing. And then Renzo, uh, a lot of work on the texture of the wines, but specifically a lot of work out in the vineyard, but a fair amount of work at the winery during fermentation on how to extract as much as you can from the skins, yet create wines that have a sense of elegance. And so a lot of work on tannin management from the grapes all the way to the barrel selection, right? So we sit down and we taste five different barrels and there's a couple that he's like, I don't know why you're buying this, right? And then you have to do the sad call to the rep to say, do you remember we were buying a bunch of these? So a lot of learnings from their sensitivities that then inform what we do with the rest of our wines. So a lot of collaborations can be challenging. They're not always easy. There's a lot of personalities and egos involved. And some of the notable ones outside of Opus One, Robert Mondavi had several collaborations that sort of unwound after a certain period of time. What have been the main challenges of doing the collaborations? I can see why collaborations can become a challenge. I mean, you speak about winemaking and egos, and I don't know what you mean. (laughs) I've never met an egocentric winemaker ever. I think in reality, earlier on, I was saying how these collaborations are built upon a foundation of mutual respect. And we get together to make wine because we like each other and each other's wines. And once you build that using that foundation, the collaboration just evolves into something that is much better than that mutual respect that we started with. And I think that is what has, in my experience with collaborations, right? These three collaborations that we've been doing in Washington, I think that's exactly what keeps them alive, healthy. And I cannot speak, if I was Renzo Cotarella, for example, I think I wouldn't be talking to people. I was like too good for my own riches. But he is not that person. And I can say the same about Michelle. I can say the same about Ernie. When I started working for San Michelle, these folks were already who's who in the wine world. And they never, ever presented themselves in that way to me. And so I think that helps too. So when you find somebody that you like, they happen to like you or what you do. And then you start the collaboration using that foundation, I think it can only get better with time. And I think that it's proven because these three have not only thrived over the years, but also evolved as well, right? So the Antinori, it's a great example. We start making wine together, which the three of us can get together and make a wine together tomorrow. But that grows into, we'll find a piece of land in Red Mountain, we'll plant vineyard in a funky orientation in a funky way with great density, which was new to Washington at the time. And then we'll build a winery. So you see how they evolve into getting to a point in which they're something much better than what they started. So I am curious, though, based on your experience and the multiple collaborations you have, 
if someone, maybe someone listening to the show, was interested in doing a collaboration and they met another winemaker, winemaking family that they seemed eye to eye with, what would be like the three pieces of advice you would give to them to know whether or not that this collaboration will actually be successful? I think trying to figure out where you're going, it's important. If you can articulate your vision, it's a great starting point. As the two parts or the three parties coming together, will be able to see themselves getting to that point, right? And I think once you have a common vision, it's easier for you to step back and say, well, Robert asked me to do A, B, and C. I'm going to trust him because I know we're going towards the same vision, right? And then the second one is you just open up your mind to do things differently, which I think that comes naturally to winemakers. This idea that I'm going to try something. Peter told me that he did A, B, and C to a Carneros Pino. And I'm going to just give it a go because that sounds interesting. And so um, if you see eye to eye, like you were saying, and you have a common vision and you can eloquently express what that vision should be, the only other advice that I have for people is just open up your mind and just learn from the experiences that somebody else has had in the industry. A lot of collaborations happen are not just winemaker to winemaker. A lot of times there's personalities that get involved that are not necessarily in the industry like celebrities. I'm curious if there's been any desire for St. Michelle Wine Estates to do any collaborations with celebrities or any other person outside of the industry. Our collaborations have always been about the wine. And I think for many reasons, it's been about the wine because we are still searching for the right place and the right variety and the right way for us to tell the Washington story. And so I think our endless search for what that looks like took us to find an Italian winemaker, a German winemaker, a French winemaker to come in, use what we have with their sensitivities to see if we can learn and develop that variety, that particular wine style, et cetera. The collaborations that I can see in the future for Chateau Saint-Michel or Saint-Michel Wine Estates in general always happen to be with winemakers. I just want to spend more time with my buddy who happens to make these amazing wines and I don't think I can and I don't know why and I want to see if I can. So that does not mean that there's maybe talk within the marketing team to bring a celebrity, to bring attention to brand A or B. But those are not stupidly exciting to me as a winemaker. And it might be greatly exciting to our chief marketing officer, but not to me. And we haven't had many of those other than having a handful of spoke people that have been able to maybe tell the story of our wines from a different perspective. A collaboration here and there with a chef, a celebrity chef, that will be able to speak to our wines, but not a collaboration in the true sense of collaboration, which is let's sit down at the same table and let's make the wine together, which is what we've done and maybe what I have in mind for the future, if we can pull it off. So if you had to spin up another collaboration, sounds like maybe you have some in mind of your choosing, what would it be and who would it be with? There is a couple of winemakers that have a very unique take on what they do. And the wineries that they happen to make wine for feel a lot like Chateau Saint-Michel and size, impact within their wine region, etc. 
One of them makes champagne under Nicolas Foyat, which is another brand that we import into the United States. Guillaume makes the most elegant and nuanced wines, or some of the most elegant and nuanced wines within Champagne, in a volume that it's mind-boggling to me. Every time I sit with him and I taste wine, or every time we walk around the vineyard, I learn a ton, and I would love to make wine with Guillaume one day, either here or there. And on the same token, because I grew up in Argentina, there is an amazing family down in Mendoza, the Catena family, making some of the most nuanced and unique Malbecs in the world. And their dedication to learn more about the place, it's just inspiring. And I would love to sit down with Alejandro Vigil, who makes their wines, their chief winemaker. And actually, it would be fun for me to let Alejandro make some wine here in Washington and see what he can bring to what we do. Maybe it's a Malbec. Maybe we'll let him pick the variety. But I think his obsession with terroir and how different two parcels in the same vineyard can be will be greatly appreciated in a place like Washington, where we are not only learning about these nuances, but also trying to separate them and create like sub-AVAs within the larger AVAs. And it feels like we're not even scratching the surface on how unique our wines can be. And so the more voices that I can bring to Washington to inform our decision-making, I think the better, the more complex the wines will be, and the more attractive the offer of Washington wines will be to consumers. Yeah, Malbec is obviously the lead horse for Catena and, and Mendoza, but they also make amazing Chardonnay and uh, Cab Franc there as oh, well. Cabernet so. as well. Oh, yeah, yes. it could be it could be any of those for Washington, right? It could be. So is there like a minimum scale to make a collaboration viable for someone as big as Chateau Saint-Michel or Saint-Michel Wine Estates? I don't think so. We have made 20,000 cases of Veroica in a given year, depending on the quality of the harvest. And we had made 300 cases of Tenet GSM, right? And then everything in between. So I think it's about having a common vision and having enough of a good relationship to be honest with each other and say, I, I think we should do this and sell it for this much and just have fun together. I mean, having Ernie at the table while we're tasting 200 Rieslings, it's fun. But having him at the table that night with five or six beers, it's a lot more fun. And I think that it's a big part of the collaboration as well. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up the, the show on a personal level. Thank you, Juan, for sharing so much information about these collaborations of varying sizes. But on a personal note, we want to ask you, what was the most memorable wine you've had in the last year? And who did you drink it with? So I had it with my wife, who happens to be a winemaker. And so the conversation at home, it's always around wine. It never ends. We talk about wine. We drink wine. It's all about wine in my house. And I had it with Jessica, who is a fan of Argentine wines, as I am. And I told you I was also a fan of the Catena family, their newest release. It's a Malbec called Argentina. And it's an ode to not only Malbec, but more importantly, the evolution of Malbec as a variety and as now the flagship of the wines that they make in Argentina. And I love everything the family does, but this Malbec, it's impressive and it's layered 
And I had it with my wife, Jessica, and we gave each other the look that you give somebody when you're like, oh my goodness, this is pretty good, right? And then immediately you're inundated with this like jealousy of like, why can I not make that wine? Which drive us to do better every day. So Argentino Malbec from Catena. That's a great wine. I think layered is a great word for it. It's very, it's like dense, but like elegant at the same time. Again, thank you for imparting so much knowledge on the show. You know, you have a really interesting perspective to cover, you know, anything from 300 cases to 20,000 case collaborations and across multiple regions. We appreciate your time and sharing your information. This was so much fun. I appreciate the two of you inviting me and I'll come back anytime you want. Next time we'll do it with wine. Perfect. Sounds great. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>